Hi, welcome to Megan's Manor. I'm your host, Megan Avery Sellers. I'm a lifelong learner, so I wanted to create a platform where together we can discover new things and rediscover old things, all while spreading kindness, joy, and positivity into this world we call home. My hope is that once this episode is over, you feel encouraged and empowered. I'm so excited that you are here. Remember, kindness is key. On with the show. Welcome to Megan's Manor. This is technically the third episode, which is super exciting. I'm here with uh, my friend Rachel. Hello. Swearingen? Yes. Swearingen. Swearingen. Is it like no N? Swearingen. Swearingen. Cool. Um, So we technically met through your brother James. Yes. um, Because I think, was he at Sagu for a bit? Yes. Okay, so we met when we were both at Sagu. We met at a Bible study. And then I guess just by proxy, we just kind of started to hang out. Sort of. Hey. Yes. Um. Yeah, so let's just kind of get into it. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about mental health and talk with an actual counselor, someone who's been in the field. Um, so what's kind of your story a little bit? Just pre-counseling, like what brought you into counseling, that sort of thing? Well, I'm actually a social worker, so oh, I'm a okay. licensed master, well, master's in, uh, licensed in a master's of social work. I'm working on my clinical license, which will make me an LCSW, uh, which gives me the realm to do direct practice and one-on-one mm-hmm. therapy or well, group work. So it eh, more, more variation where I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually, it was actually a choice between either doing nursing or social work. And I was trying to decide which one I wanted to do. Cause I think I would either field sounded really appealing to me and I got to have a sit-down conversation with my aunt, who is a social worker. She was telling me about the things that she does, and I was just like, you know what? I think this is, I think this is the field for me, Um, and that's kind of what directed me into the world of social work. And what I found really appealing about it is it is very versatile. Mm -hmm. Hence, I've got a master's in social work, and now I'm actually getting to work on that uh, direct practice piece. So that's, I like the variety, the versatility of it, as well as the main focus of why I was trying to choose between nursing and social work was I wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what brought me into this field. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so I didn't know you were technically a social worker. That's cool. Yeah. Um, do you serve mo- like more kids in the area or just like everybody? It, because it's so versatile, it depends on what your focus is. My master's is in direct practice, children and family, mm-hmm. so I can work with children. I work here at SAGU, Southwestern Assemblies of God University, in the counseling center, so I work with college students predominantly, um, usually between the ages of 18, 23, 25. Some of, some of them, you know, you have your, your margins uh, that are older. Uh, so older 20s or in 30s at times, but predominantly that college range of 18, 23, 25. So that's currently the population I'm working with. Very cool. Yeah. Um, have, have there been any surprises just since you've been in the field? No. I think the one thing about, especially going through the bachelor's and master's, is it's be prepared to be surprised at all times. And so part of what you're training or what you educate and train in is to not be surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to be as aware of potential events, biases, triggers, etc., as much as humanly possible. So it's a constant reassess to be as competent as possible. Wow. Yeah. That seems like a lot. It is. Does your brain hurt a lot? Yes, it does. 
That's cool. <laughs> um, so my next question was, why did you become a counselor? And it, obviously you said because of your aunt. Um, she's a social worker. Mm-hmm. Was there any other thing? Like, was there a big God moment or just influences in your family or friends? Um, so let's see. Like pre-conversation with my aunt, um, was that what 18, 19 year old going, what am I going to do with my life? I have to have everything figured out, which ironically is the piece that I get to talk to college students about Mm -hmm. and go, it's really okay. You can chill. If I could tell myself that I would, Uh um, what am I going to do? God, what do you want me to do? And then I remember hearing the word ministry and being like, yes, now I have a direction. Then I was on a flight back and he's like, you do realize that ministry isn't specific to in the church, right? And I went, dang it. (laughs) Like, really, Lord? And so it just, uh, because like my dad's a pastor, so I'm a PK. um, And then technically, actually, missionary kid as well. Mm -hmm. So being a child of two countries, um, I thought was like really have a lot of secondary um, experience with church life Mm -hmm. and so I thought oh ministry church and then it was like no I don't want you to do that and so in the all of that is when I had that conversation with my aunt at the age of 18 19 because I happened to be with my family who lives in Canada at the time Uh, and so that really kind of started the wheels turning so it was kind of that direction of I want you to help people and I want you to do ministry and minister to people but I don't want you to do it necessarily within a church setting Mm -hmm. pastoral wise and so that was kind of what really speared me to look elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and then encouragement from family as well. It was, it was, but it was more just like it presented itself. I saw it as an option. Um, that kind of spearing of the Lord as well as that conversation or the introduction to what social work is for my aunt has kind of directed me on this path and I'm still figuring it out yeah. as I go along. So that that's kind of how that went. Do you, do you plan to get your PhD? That's that's a loaded question. Okay. Um, <laughs> Do you need to get your PhD I to continue don't. this business? I actually okay. don't. Um, a master's is a terminal degree for social work. So technically it's like the highest level you need to achieve within your field. Mm-hmm. If I want to teach, I would need to get my doctorate. And that's kind of where I'm debating right now. Because I gotcha. do enjoy teaching. That's As I work in the counseling center, I also teach adjunct. Um, and if I were to do full-time I would eventually have to get my doctorate so loaded question being probably (laughs) but I don't want to so it's like do I really want to go back to school no I don't what two kids now yes two kids my husband's in his doctorate yes my son is two and a half and my daughter is almost one so yes do I want to do a doctorate no (laughs) will I probably do a doctorate Yes. Yeah, we'll maybe see. when they're older, yeah, a little bit more self-sufficient. Um, yes. So that's, like I said, yeah. a good question. Well, that's like, cool. Oh. It's okay. You don't have to have it figured out. <laughs> as <you> exactly. <laughs> you really don't. So. Very cool. Um, so let's kind of get into, like, mm. actual counseling. So what are some of the benefits of counseling? It is a safe space <laughs> for people to explore whatever they're wanting to come in to explore. So it could be working towards goals. It's having it's having a support of someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So if you're it's it'd be like basically a therapeutic if I'm simplify it, like a therapeutic friend essentially. Mm-hmm. Um 
So if you're coming and talking to them about anxiety or talking about depression, it's someone who goes, oh, well, let's explore this. What's been happening? What's going on in your world? What are some possible triggers? Have you been tracking your mood? How are you taking care of yourself? And they actually explore that versus a friend who goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Right. I'll pray for you. Like, <laughs> Or, well, you should do X, Y, Z versus uh-huh. the actual listening piece. So there's someone who actually knows what they're doing. They have actual tools or skills or experience, knowledge, etc., that they can provide versus just using your traditional support system. Um, it's also beneficial in the sense of if we're talking about support system, counseling is a support. So if you don't have the supports within your own uh, system of relationships, friends and family, counseling can be a viable option for that. Mm-hmm. Also, it can be very beneficial if you're exploring things like trauma, um, big trauma or littler, not littler, uh, more extreme or severe or more moderate to mild cases of trauma. Mm -hmm. So depending on what your experience is, that can be very beneficial in helping direct you in a a path for recovery, healing, or growth. Because there's, if we think about it, there's probably patterns of behavior where like, why can't I seem to get over this? Why do I always react this way? Getting to the root of it, uh, having a counselor or having someone educated in this field can be really helpful in getting to the root cause overcoming it and moving forward very cool um what are some things people should look for in a potential counselor Ooh, that's a really great question um well if you're a person of faith that can be very important or if you're not a person of faith that can also be very important um I mean, through a counseling field, you're directed to not superimpose your opinions, belief system, Mm -hmm. et cetera, onto the person you're working with, but everyone has biases, and part of a good therapeutic alliance is the basis of trust um, and rapport building. So even if, let's say, you are um, agnostic and you're seeing a Christian counselor, even if they're approaching it and not including their faith aspect in that alliance with you, if you're insecure, not insecure, if you're suspicious or have misgivings about their motives, that's going to completely derail the progress that you're going to make because you're not going to trust that they're going to honor your belief system or your values. And so being able to find someone who you feel comfortable with, that you have a good rapport with, that you know... um, regardless of belief system, background, culture, etc., that they're not going to push things onto you and allow you to explore to meet your goals in the best way possible. I completely lost that. If you can't find somebody who's going to do those things, then it's yeah. not going to be beneficial. So background checking is important. Um, it also depends on different approaches can be influential as well. Keeping in mind that unless you know about the field specifically, knowledge about the approaches might not be as beneficial to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But really rapport is like that ground piece and just having an understanding of how well you trust this person. Yeah. Um, I know when I was looking for a counselor, I I would have preferred someone female, mm -hmm. um, which nothing wrong with men at all. I just, Mm -hmm. I feel I can talk easily more Uh easily to someone who's female so that was something I looked for um I did look for someone who um sees more of a holistic Uh like we talked about in emails um that 
really sees the whole body, sees the whole person. Yes. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about the, the practices, like mm-hmm. you said, but, but that was something that I really did take into consideration was, do you come at counseling from a holistic point of view? Mm-hmm. Um, and I did want somebody who was a Christian as well, just yes. to have that prayer and that faith piece into mm-hmm. it. So that way, when I did talk about my faith and I did talk about my struggles, like she knew where I was coming from. She yes. knew how to, to speak with me and help me form goals mm-hmm. that were biblically in line. Yeah. So... Absolutely. And I actually really like her. So I'm very comfortable with her. It's been it's been good. Yeah. Um when is the best time to start counseling? Whenever you feel you would like to. Um that's, that's really what it is. <coughs> like if it's something that you feel that you need, try it out. Mm-hmm. Um sometimes we don't know that we're ready to work on things and so we until we do, in the same line, we don't always know that we're not ready to work on things right. until we do. So there's there's never really a right or wrong time to start counseling. It's it's a good place of discovery, growth, exploration. Um, and if you again, if you find that person that you feel really comfortable with that you like like you like you mentioned um, someone who is female, someone who's holistic. So finding those qualities that you're looking for in that person as well as being able to have a good rapport, being like, "You know what? I actually don't mind their personality. They're not like we mesh really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's never really a right or wrong time to start it. It's you, you'll find out if you're ready or if you're not, and it's okay if you're not because then you can stop, put it on pause, and then decide if you want to pick it up later. So it's it's really based off of you and what you're wanting to work towards. Yeah. Have you ever had a client or or know somebody who has a client where they just like did not mesh at all and they felt really uncomfortable? Um, breaking off their session at all, like stopping counseling. Yeah. Usually, if you're uncomfortable with the counselor and you're not meshing with them, usually what happens is you just kind of don't reschedule. Disappear. Yeah, you just stop <laughs> going. Ghosted. Yes. So, and that's that's not uncommon. Um, and so, like for here, we have well, we've we've got a couple counselors. So, two full time counselors, um, two or an interim counselor, and we also have practicum students mm-hmm. that that help out as well. So it's not uncommon for someone to meet with like my, my partner counselor and be like, I don't know if we really mesh and they want to see somebody else. And that's, that happens. My one, my one piece with that is if you decide that you're starting counseling and you meet with someone and you're not comfortable with that person or like, um, they're little, I don't know about this person. Mm -hmm. I don't feel safe in this environment. Please, please, please do not make that person the face of your counseling experience. That is one person yeah every person every counselor is going to be different i'm very direct in how i approach counseling not everybody is that way and i'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay if you don't want someone who's going to be direct if you're wanting someone who's a little bit more not roundabout if you will um just use different language than i do Mm -hmm. in how they how we how they approach the therapeutic alliance that is perfectly okay the whole purpose of counseling is to reach your goals and to get you to where you're wanting to go, to help you in your your growth or your healing journey or your support or walking you through whatever it is that you're being walked through. Um, so don't let that one experience or that one counselor be the face of counseling for you because that was them. They're not every person. Everybody is going to be a little bit different in how they approach it. Um, that's my one, one little, little tidbit. My one little tidbit. So. Um, why is there such a huge stigma? around mental mental health uh in what capacity i feel like 
the last couple of years it has become more of a thing like more people are are open to mental health and and healing through that and going to counseling um I feel like even in the 80s and 90s it was still kind of like a hush hush type thing so do you think I don't know if that question makes sense but um like why was there so much of a stigma yeah like even in the past I think there's still a little bit today just because Mm -hmm. there's still you know hatred and misunderstanding and stuff like that but I don't know. I don't know if that question made sense. <laughs> um, there could be many reasons why. Excuse me. I think there's uh, many reasons, and I asked in what capacity because if we're talking about the church specifically, there's a whole going to be a whole different socially yeah. different reasons why mental health there might be resistance uh, to it. Uh, and the on a larger social scale, mm-hmm. if we think through. If I'm if we're talking America or yeah. even North America specifically, yeah. um, like America, the the land of dreams of making it making it your own way, doing it yourself, and so it's like this: we kind of have to push through to make things happen. On the one hand, that's really great. Let's push through. Let's power through. There's a lot of strength, courage, determination that can come from that. But then there can also be the downside of we push down and diminish uh, emotion. We push down and diminish. Um, negative side effects or experiences. Um, also, uh, again, coming from uh, having the experience of another country as well, recognizing there's a lot of superficiality surface-wise, not that there's not authenticity to be found in, in America because there absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Um, on, that, there's a, on that surface level, there can be superficiality in the sense of we always present our best face. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you if you're okay, but I don't actually want to know. I want you to tell me that you're fine and we're going to go about our day. And so there's that whole, like a veneer and like that basically um, put on your best face and this, this mask sense. And we're not going to really dig into the deeper issues. And you're telling me you are uh, okay, but are you telling me that there's a problem, but it just sounds like you're whining and making excuses. And so this, the kind of cultural aspect of toughen up, get over it. Um, and then also there's there's nuances gender-wise as well. Like women tend to be really emotional. So we're going to, stereotypically, uh, so we're going to tell you, oh, you're just being emotional, get over it. Whereas you, boys don't cry, that's a sissy thing to do. Right. So the stigmas that can be applied based off of some of the stereotypes we have gender-wise. And then we're getting into the whole, um, more progressively we see um, some of these pieces as well come up in uh, like LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. Um the the boxes of gender or how that might affect affect individuals as yeah. well and that push against those boxes so I think a lot of a lot of it with uh, an opposition or resistance to mental health has come from the fact of we we have a lot of boxes of what's acceptable and what's not mm-hmm. um, and now we're seeing a pushback against that and saying no we need to take care of full person and recognizing wait mental health is very much integrated into whole person and what's going on emotionally, what's going on physically, what's going on spiritually, mentally is also implied and connected in with that. And then recognizing, allowing people, are, are, that that push and that growth we're seeing of people being able to be okay with themselves and who they are as an individual. Um, so I think that answers your question. Yeah. Can you kind of go more into the church side? Of yeah, that? absolutely. So church side. Because <laughs> um, I know that there's there's definitely like, the whole thing, like you just need to have faith and just answer, God will answer your prayers, which He will. Uh huh. But um, but there's still like chemically there mm-hmm. some, might be things wrong, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are just afraid to tackle that. Mm-hmm. So 
So some of the common responses we see within a church setting is either you need to pray and read your Bible more, or that sounds like it's a demon and you're being oppressed and you need to pray against it. Uh, So there's a lot again, but we can also see social influence there as well as put on your best face, get over it. All we need is Jesus, too blessed to be depressed. I'm like, no, that is not true. Um, depression, in some aspects, uh, we we there's a and we see this church wise as well. This actually couples with it socially. It's we have quote unquote bad emotions, and in all reality, there's actually no such thing as a bad emotion. Mm-hmm. We have uncomfortable or negative experience emotions that are unpleasant but they're not bad and so when we experience things like sadness loneliness grief anger frustration especially within a church setting like if you think spiritually no those are those are sin those are bad so i'm gonna stuff those down and obviously i don't have enough faith or i'm not praying enough or i'm not spiritual enough um and so this is a mirror of my sin or a mirror of what's wrong with me when in all reality those are flags or signs that are saying, hey, something's going on. need to check it out. And sometimes those emotions just need to be experienced and pushed through mm-hmm. and validated. And then when you get on the other side of them, it's like, oh, I've actually grown because of these things, even though it was unpleasant to experience. Yeah. Um, so church-wise, it's that go and pray, read your Bible more, or uh, it's a demon. Uh, especially with more severe mental health. So... One of the one, like for instance, if we're thinking more severe um, mental health, we've got what schizophrenia, like bipolar one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, Trying to think of a couple; those are like two, like really main ones mm-hmm. that I can think of. So, someone with schizophrenia, if we don't understand what's going on with them, oh, they're just possessed. We just need to pray that demon out of them. Right. First of all, we're not approaching the person with all the facts, and we don't know physically, mentally, what's going on with them. And two, how traumatic is it going to be for that person? If you're trying to pray a demon out of them, and there isn't one. Yeah. Like the... So... And I'm not saying that there aren't people that, that have demons or aren't being oppressed or that what they're experiencing isn't doesn't have uh, oppression or other spiritual ramifications. Not saying that at all, but recognizing that Mental health is hugely important holistically to the health of the person. Mm -hmm. And, oh, there's so many, so many factors that have to be considered. Yes, we have to have faith. Yes, we need to pray and read our Bibles. Yes, there can be demonic oppression or possession of of persons that they're experiencing some torment in that way. Absolutely. Those are absolutely things. But that is not always what's going on. Right. And we're actually seeing that growth in the church. I think some of the resistance with mental health is the fact that like social work, psychology, counseling are very liberal fields. And so there's resistance because, well, we don't, we don't need this liberal field within our church pulling away from what we believe and ripping it to shreds and saying that it's not relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a marrying of the two. Science and faith go hand in hand. Yeah. Mental health and faith need to go hand in hand. Like, they go together. And so it's just, especially with some of the resistance we're seeing, there's it's just growing pains, yeah. really. Because um, there is growing awareness, but that resistance is based in a lot of fear, I think. Uh, personal opinion, fear, uh, to losing 
what faith is and losing what uh, Christianity is and it getting lost somehow or being polluted or distorted. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, does that answer your question? I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, it's really fascinating. <laughs> so, it is. There's lots. There's lot lots. Uh, and I don't claim to be an expert in these. These are just like theories and like things. Observations that you've seen. Yeah. Which is so, really fun. Yeah, just observations. And like, again, being a PK and having a kind of an observational, like front row seat observation position to church politics and um, faith as we know it. There's, have have a pretty, pretty well established (laughs) ideas on how things, how things go. Um, But again, like as I see, there's a fear response and resistance to mental health. Is there absolute validity in some of that fear? Yes, absolutely. There's absolutely validity to that fear. Because if we, you pull too much, from liberal perspective that can absolutely erode or take away or twist or contort the belief system, faith, Bible, all of those things. So it's, it's a, it's a dance, I guess. There's, there's another term I can't think of. It's, there's a, there's a fine line. So it's kind of, there's a lot of swaying that's happening uh-huh. with this oh, process. Um, do you think that there are like some practical steps the church can take as far as counseling? Like obviously a person needs to have discernment if a mm-hmm. person truly is suffering with a demon, like that's one thing mm-hmm. versus mental health. Like should there be extensive classes in the church or should you just have hired social workers in the church? Like, I don't know. Well, I know each church kind of does their own thing. I just don't that's, know. If, if churches themselves, I think that would be fantastic if a churches would employ like faith-based counselors, psychologists, mm-hmm. etc. If not partnering with, yeah. like this is a in the community piece. Mm-hmm. And as a social worker, I'm all about all like of the things, thing. like syst- like very system oriented. So, yeah. what are the resources? What are the strengths? What are what's going on here? How can we help add more strengths and more connections? So, church to be really within the community. And like loving on the people and really just furthering that, building alliances with counselors, with psychologists, with psychiatrists, with mental health uh, institutions, like on all spectrums. Like we, we're seeing partnerships now with churches in our foster care system. That is amazing. That is awesome. Yes, let's get these kids at homes that are going to love and nurture and like protect them the way yeah. that they need to be protected. So if we're doing it there, why aren't we should be doing it everywhere else. Right. So building those partnerships. So if the church in and of itself isn't providing those services, connecting with so that people have that bridge um, for the for the services that they need. And again, like you said, that discernment piece. So is this a chemical imbalance? Is this something going on neurologically in the brain? Or are they really truly possessed by a demon? Right. So that discernment piece is absolutely important. And we're not always going to know until you're in the moment. So if I were to look at person A and person B... Right off the bat, probably not going to be able to tell you what's going on. So it's going to take work, relationship, getting into, if we're thinking through that biblical model, discipleship, mentoring. How are you going to know what's going on with someone unless you're involved in their life? Right. So relationship, connection, bringing together. So, yeah. Which I think is the core of any field. Yes. Regardless if you're a counselor, educator, (laughs) a business person, Mm -hmm. medical, something Mm -hmm. other. Relationship is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I only have like one other question. Um, is there a huge difference between counseling from a secular perspective versus a biblical perspective? I mean, 
if I'm counseling from a biblical perspective, that means my faith is influencing my approach. Um, being someone of faith, that is harder for me to discern because everything comes through that lens of faith for me. Now, if I'm working in a faith setting versus a secular setting, absolutely there's going to be a difference. So I work here at SAGU, so I can use scripture. I can sit here and quote Romans 8 to you right. while we're in session. We can pray at the end of the session. Like, that's awesome. I can do those things. Secular setting, cannot do that. Cannot do that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so how I would approach that is going to be a little bit different. For me, one of the things that was fascinating in, in study was looking at how there's a like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's looking at thoughts, emotions, behaviors, and then triggers. So things that we believe, our core beliefs that we've established from things that have happened to us and reinforced over other events in the course of our life. A very simplistic explanation, but it's very biblical. Like to me, I'm like the Bible is straight CBT. Like scripture says, take hold, take every thought captive. Yeah. You know, so being mindful of our thoughts, being mindful of our emotions and our desires and our behaviors. So it's very much CBT. It talks about meditating on the word day and night. So taking that time to recoup, to process, and to fill yourself with scripture. So using um, reinforcement and pattern, so new behaviors, and having that as a behavior that you're reinforcing in your day-to-day. The behaviors that we engage in affect our thoughts and affect our emotions, which then affect what we believe to be true about ourselves, which is straight CBT. I'm like, that's in the Bible. So when I hear it in a secular setting, I'm like, that's the Bible. It's cool. Um, So to me, I use that and recognizing the two together. So it's, I can kind of interchange between them. Again, working in this, in a Christian environment with students who come from faith backgrounds I can more employ scripture as a support within that and really engage their faith piece Mm -hmm. as a support for them. In a secular setting, I'm going to lean more heavily on my CBT um, methodology, knowing that I have that under foundation of Bible knowledge, whether I'm actually quoting scripture at them, which I'm not going to do, but that's my foundation. And I know that that's where I'm coming from. And also being someone of a faith background, I believe in the discernment and the, and the, being able to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So when I'm working with someone, having that discernment piece of knowing, oh, we probably need to go in this direction. Or I'm really, I really think that this is what's going on with you right now. Um, and I've seen that in uh, clients and in working with them, just the little whispers of the voice of the Holy Spirit and his discernment going, this is the direction we need to go. Yeah. And seeing the fruit of that, which is awesome. I think that answers your question. Yeah. Um... I was just, so I'm, I'm a teacher, obviously. Uh, so if you were meeting with a potential prospective student, like mm-hmm. going into the field of counseling, what mm-hmm. are some things that you might mm-hmm. share with them? Um, like, because like when you are a teacher, you have to have a certain like temperament. You have to have a certain mm-hmm. mental capacity. Mm-hmm. So what are some things for a prospective person wanting to be a counselor that you might share? Be aware of your biases and triggers. Like, that is hugely important. Triggers, biases, absolutely, because that can challenge the rapport you have with the client Mm -hmm. as well as affect your ability to be objective in working with them. Uh, So if you have biases, like, like for instance, if I were to list for an example, a bias um, would be knowing which populations you cannot work with. Um, For some people, a bias for them or an area where I cannot work with this person, they wouldn't be able to work with most people. Um, wouldn't be able to work with someone who 
has acted out in pedophilia or in any form of uh, like abusers um, into an intimate partner violence, like not being able to work with abusers due to bias, you're not going to be an effective partner for that or um, aid or support for that person and helping them reach goals um, to further their health and their healing. So mm-hmm. being aware of those biases for you. And that also can tie into triggers as well. If you're coming from, if you have unresolved things in your life, and even if you have worked through them, let's say, for instance, you've worked through and you've made progress in healing and used counseling for healing from abuse of whatever kind or capacity, mm-hmm. you can still be triggered by that and say you're confronted with someone who yes i'm a sex offender or yes i've been an abuser and these are things that i did to my partners in working with that that could be very triggering for you and very distressing um so being aware of what are my triggers whether they're long-term permanent triggers or maybe it's in the moment um seasonal triggers like i know someone who experienced a death of a loved one and in this season of their life they cannot work with grieving people like that's just they cannot do that that's too emotionally triggering for them be aware of your triggers, be aware of your biases. Uh, and you and, and biases too, recognizing for me, while my faith is a huge aid, that can also be a bias. So I have to be aware of that. Does that necessarily mean that that's going to negate me from working with people with faith? No, because that's unethical. But <laughs> I need to be aware of that. So what, if I am working with someone who is outside, who, who has a different faith perspective than me, or believes differently or lives differently than I do, you have to be aware of those things and being mindful that that is not influencing or um, manipulating the therapeutic alliance that you have mm-hmm. with the person. And that's, it's, that's a learning process. You'll learn that through the course of your um, degree plan if this is what you choose. Also, don't be intimidated by the language. Um, educationally, there's a lot of like high, lofty, white collar type terminology. It's very bookish. Um, for like, for instance, cognitive behavioral therapy. What the heck does that mean? Right. And, like I talked through that a little bit. It's just like there's always a layman or like simplified explanation for the educational, higher learning definition that you have. Um, so don't be intimidated by the language. And the therapeutic alliance is a lot more conversational and less, well, how do you feel about that? Right. And then like weird, awkward questions. Like it's a lot more, we're having a conversation and we're getting somewhere and we're going somewhere with it, but it's a lot more conversational. So you yeah. get to bring your own personality and who you are. And that's actually very important to the therapeutic alliance. Like I talked about, you're not going to click with everybody. I'm a very direct person. I don't click with everybody. But if I were to not be who I am, one, that could breed mistrust in the clients because they'll pick up on whether or not I'm being myself. You can tell if something's being forced or not. Right. So being able to be yourself, but... <coughs> sorry. And it's a lot more conversational, um, not as formal all the time. So it's you need to bring yourself and who yeah. you are into the, into the alliance. That's important. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about while, while we're here? Anything that you were like, I want to talk about this when Megan's here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I had a thought a minute ago, and I like completely lost it. I think it was when we were talking about some of the resistance, like experience. Like in the church? In the church, and then just like more socially, just like thinking through that. Um, just like watching all the, um, just like right now where, where society is at. Um, oh man, there's so many. It was like there's, like I mentioned, like our gender-based stereotyped boxes and how we're seeing there's growth and movement and change from that. Um, 
faith-wise, some of those boxes. Yeah, I don't remember what my thought was. It was like a point. I was like, I need to talk about this. It's completely gone. <laughs> it's okay. Um, oh, that is actually a huge, a huge thing for me and something to be aware of if you're going into the counseling field. You are not the savior. If you think that you have to save your clients, you will burn yourself out. Yeah. Like, no. I got into this field because I wanted to help people, and that's great. Going in because you want to help people is awesome, but recognize that you're here to help and to aid, to support them on reaching their goals, which means their goals are not your responsibility. Right. They have to get there. So if you have a resistant client, don't be distressed that you're not saving them and getting them to their goals. They have to want to move in that direction. And if they don't, great. I tell clients, and I say it this way on on purpose, and it might sound a little bit harsh, but it's I promise it's not. It's it's boundaries, as I tell them. When you leave my office, I cease to think about your problem. It does not go home with me. Yeah. It's not that I do not care because I do, and I will do the work. I will study up. I will explore other resources, collaborate to make sure that you're getting well-rounded care for your healing and your growth. But once you leave, your problem goes with you. Yep. It does not stay, and I do not take it on as a burden for myself because that's not okay. So if you're doing, if, if you're going to go into this field, if this is something you're interested in, other people's burdens are not your responsibility. You need to know what your boundaries are. So you need to know that if you're saying yes to another person, does this mean you're saying no to you? And is that okay for you to say no to you right now? Or do you actually need to say no to the other person? Um, so boundaries are huge. If you don't have good boundaries, if you're not engaging in healthy self-care for you, one, why are you telling other people to do these things? Mm-hmm. And two, you're going to burn out really, really quickly. Um, and then begin to question, was this really the field that I wanted to go in? Did I make a mistake? So take care of you. Take care of your own resources. You can't give out of an empty cup. Like, there's nothing to pour out. So make sure that you're taking care of you first. And if you don't do that, you, you, you will see it. You will burn out. That's like burning the candle at both ends. It's yeah. going it, to, you use it up quicker. Um, boundaries. That's like, oh my gosh. That is, that is a platform. I could talk about that for a whole other hour. <laughs> right. We're not going to do that. No. But I could. So that's that's a huge piece. Know your yeah. boundaries. So biases and triggers. Um, it's not as intimidating. Don't be intimidated by the language. You will learn. You don't always realize what you know. Because um, we, f- we forget there's a time we didn't know the things that we know. Yeah. Um, and then boundaries. Boundaries are huge. So begin to assess boundaries in your personal life. And recognize that that is how you're going to set boundaries in your professional life. So, yeah, that's probably my other point. Yeah. Very (laughs) cool. Um, I feel like I had a thought and it had to do with the church and boundaries. Maybe it had to to do with your thought. I can't remember. But I was thinking, uh, like, I have a lot of friends that go to counseling, and I try to make sure that I did not go to their counselor because Mm -hmm. I don't want to, like, make a conflict of interest or anything. So, Mm -hmm. like, how would that work in the church? Like, if there were a setting where there was a professional counselor in the church, like, did that, does that person not go to their church? Like, I don't know. Is there, what do you think are some boundary steps that that person in a church setting would have to take? So if you had a counselor <clears throat> within a church setting, mm-hmm. it would be like having a counselor or a social worker in a small town of a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to tailor it ethically. So that would, that would, depend <coughs> on, that would depend on that specific counselor and how they base their 
how they set their boundaries. Yeah. Um, like for instance, here, Asagi is a very small community and be- because one, I'm a counselor here, I counsel here as a social worker, but I also teach. So I tell my students in my class, if you're going to be in my class, I cannot counsel you. Right. Like I had a client actually who signed up for one of my classes and I was like, Hey, just so you know, you've signed up for one of my classes, which means I will have to transfer you to another counselor. And they're like, Oh, nope. Dropping that class. Like I'm not losing you as a counselor, which I was like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> good to know that we have a good alliance, but, um, it's always encouraging to hear, but yeah. you have to know where your boundary limits are. And like as a social worker, a difference between social work and counseling is counseling after so many years, you can engage in a personal relationship mm-hmm. with clients. After so many years of you not counseling them anymore. So let's say you ended counseling like like the last session was in like 2010. It's 2020 now. I, I don't rem- know that because it's not actually in my field. But after like if you're, from the last date of session to whatever, like I think it's like two, maybe three years. So you can engage in personal relationship with clients. Mm-hmm. Social worker, it's... You're a client for life, which is a lot more limiting. Um, That can challenge things if I'm still active in the social work field, obviously. Um, So within this setting, it's it's knowing where there might be issues of dual relationship and how to navigate those things. Within a church setting, that would would be very challenging. Um, I think, uh, I guess another good example of that is with students here... This is probably a good mirror of a church environment. It depends on the size of the church as mm-hmm. well. But one, you don't counsel friends and family. Like, that is a no anywhere. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're at a church or in a government-funded institution. That's just a hard no at all times. Friends and family, out of bounds. Um, personal line for me is I don't usually like to counsel friends of family. So friends of my siblings that's a very that's a gray gray water area i've had mm-hmm. clients that go oh hey i know your sibling so-and-so and i'm just like great <laughs> that's not encouraging and yeah. so with that depending and that depends on the relationship usually i like to refer out if it's a relationship where they don't hang out they're not really close um the person doesn't remember them Etc. That's my kids. Yeah. We'll grab those. Um, and that's <coughs> dependent on the the relationship. There's there's actually nothing wrong with seeing, like if you have a client and you see their friend, that's fine. You're still an objective observer. You're just getting to see the other side without actually being involved. And that's dependent on the counselor. Everyone's going to be a little different in their approach on that. Within a church setting, there's going to be probably a little more leeway with yeah. I'm gonna. I'm the only person here, and if it's really an issue of, like, like boundaries and ethics, you refer out. Yeah. Or maybe you have multiple counselors um, for that purpose. Like, I, I don't usually see roommates. If I'm seeing someone one-on-one and they're wanting to do marriage counseling, um, I would refer them to somebody else because I'm going to be biased. I'm on your side. I've been seeing you for however long, mm-hmm. and now you're wanting to bring your partner or your spouse in. Blah. Yeah. refer you out so you can see someone who doesn't yeah. have your backstory first um and, and who knows that might change um but right now that's like a boundary line that makes me uncomfortable because i want to make sure that i can be a good mediator between both parties yeah so very cool ethically it just it really depends on the community and the church is just knowing your boundaries knowing your ethics 
using your support system. So asking a supervisor, hey, so I have this situation, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So having a sounding board yourself um, so that to make sure that you're safe and that you're ethically sound in how you're practicing. Very good. Yeah. Any other thoughts before we wrap up? Any thoughts? <laughs> I feel like I've said lots You've of things. You've talked a lot. I've said is, lots of words. Which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> lots of words. This podcasting is, is new. It's a new scary thing because I have trouble speaking publicly. <laughs> so, Which is ironic because I'm a performer. Um, but it's fine. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for letting me come to your yeah. office and for doing this with me. I learned a lot. Hopefully the listeners learned a lot. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you so much. And You're very welcome. Thank you, guys, you for having me. Absolutely. Um, okay, listeners, have a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Megan's Manor. You are so loved and there is a great plan for your life. Be sure to spread kindness, joy, and positivity into this world we call home. Stay tuned for the next episode. Bye.